Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best founders and investors to help you scale up business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest comes from Oslo. His name is Sigbjorn, the CEO of Ignite Procurement. Sigbjorn, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. Likewise. And uh, I love your podcast equipment. So you are one of the most uh, pro uh, guests that we had in, in the in the last episodes. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and also inspiring me to improve the, the quality of my audio. And the guests will, will also uh, be grateful for, for that. But for the ones who didn't have the pleasure to, to meet you yet, um, let, let us know a, a bit more about your story and uh, how it was the evolution for you to, to start up uh, Ignite Procurement. Absolutely. So, yeah, I started as a consultant in, in BCG, uh, and that's what a lot of potential in, in, in the procurement industry. So I did a lot of procurement projects, and I saw that same type of analysis was done in the beginning of the project over and over again. But the resource that you created was, was immense. So it's a lot of potential in the procurement function. And it was underinvested in most of the companies we, we worked with. Right. That's also the place where I met uh, my co-founder, Berge, which also had similar ex experience. Mm -hmm. In 2016, we decided to go out of BCG and start our own uh, company, Ignite Procurement. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, we worked as consultants and worked on no cure, no pay. Got it. Part of what we saved for the companies, and we used the internal model to identify the opportunities and analyze the spend. Mm -hmm. And that went very well. But we saw in order to scale that that business, we needed to give the customers direct access to those insights, so mm -hmm. they can do that them, themselves. Got it. So while doing consulting, we we started also to build a a cloud-based solution uh, that we launched in the end of 2018. And we recruited also a, a CTO to join the, the founding the founding team. Right. Uh, and since then, we have been scaling the, the, the SaaS business. We have also raised capital. And uh, now we are more than 50, 50 people uh, and rapidly, well rapidly growing. Sounds amazing. So you you have raised you you kind of bootstrap it uh, until you were uh, kind of you funded the development of the platform with the consulting work that you that that you were uh, doing and you both had that consulting background from from BCG where you identified the uh, the problem uh, and and that it was a, a big problem and a big pain for the customers that they were willing to pay for for that solution. And uh, and after that, you were able to to raise the the seed rounds, and and recently with fifty plus people, you you raised also the the A round. How long ago, and what was the the size? Yeah, so we raised around seven million euros in May. Uh, Got it. Yeah, and then we raised the seed round in two thousand and nineteen. Got it. And then we had, as you were saying, we had already had some customers. We have proved that we had the product that the market was willing to, to buy. So we already had, have done that with, by bootstrapping and doing the consulting projects and learned uh, that way. Right. 
something that I that I enjoyed, uh, especially because sometimes we have this. It's it's super difficult to find a co-founder that we have a great a great chemistry with, um, and sometimes we force ourselves, especially because we have this notion that uh, we need to to have a CEO and a and a CTO or a business uh, co-founder and a technical. Uh, co-founder and and sometimes what we need really is is a passion to solve the problem a gate chemistry chemistry among the team and then you will find out a way to get there and then you will hire your early employees and maybe they will be part of kind of the extended uh founding team member uh, founding team and uh, and in in that sense you'll be able to to ensure that you have the the key roles uh, represented on the table, but uh, if you would have to have everyone uh, from the beginning, it would be almost impossible. And and we need to be uh, we need to understand that sometimes it is difficult to have all the the roles that we need from from day one, and it should not disencourage us to to keep going and to and to start it. Right? Yeah, absolutely, I agree. And in the beginning, when we start, we didn't know that you were going to end up as a SaaS company. Uh, that's true. That's the advantage. <laughs> and as a consulting, and so there is so a big potential in, in the procurement function. It's, as I'm saying, an underinvested function. It's also underinvested in terms of digital tools. Uh, and the data is typically flowing in, in, in different systems. So they need a system to gather the data, clean it, categorize it, and provide insights based on it. And that's where we saw a big opportunity and then went from a consulting company that went well, but to become a, a SaaS company because we saw a big, bigger upside potential there. Right. And, and, and even on, on that sense, I think that's a good point. Uh, we are seeing more and more consultants and, and people from the consulting industry starting uh, companies uh, nowadays. I think that even some venture builders and for instance Antler uh, are looking for that kind of background because typically they understand well numbers they also understand business strategy etc cetera, etc cetera. so they they are they, they are a good kind of a, a business co-founder and then having just matching them with a technical co-founder to be able to to build their their companies um but of course, there is this temptation that sometimes the consulting business has very good margins and uh, very few capital to to start. Uh, but at the same time, sometimes it is difficult to to scale it up, right? So, and uh, it's difficult to make it less dependent on yourself. So sometimes it happens to options, or you have a, a high margin business as a consulting as a consultant, but you are not able to make it not depend. Uh, on you so to make it depending on on the team and then if it is dependent on the team it is difficult to scale that team uh and to scale the operations uh, so that's why we are seeing also consultants looking to 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 see how they can create more scalable uh businesses do you feel that this this trend is happening uh, around you do, do you have the same uh perception yeah, absolutely. And we see a lot of consultants from BCG and also from McKinsey and other exactly. consulting companies that start their own company in, in, in the Nordics now. And uh, I think working in BCG, you, you get the, the toolbox you need. Uh, you also working with a lot of great people. So you get a good network, but you also learn uh, to work hard. Uh, and right. to prioritize heavily because you have a lot of 
to do in the, in, the, in those roles as consultants. So you need to prioritize and you need to work hard. And that's an important element to have with you when you start your own. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's very intense uh, from from what I hear at those uh, top consulting companies. And um, yeah, but let's talk more about about the pain, the, the the opportunity that you that you found in the procurement space. Typically, it's not a very sexy uh, space, and uh, and I know that you have a passion that uh, procurement should have more a seat at the table nowadays with uh, the regulation on sustainability uh, there is also um, an emergence of, of 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 that role becoming more and more important and that need becoming more and more important but if you could give us a background and why procurement is becoming more and more relevant and why ignite uh, is is also surfing that trend and that wave uh, that would be great absolutely so we see that procurement function have a lot of data, but they don't manage to use the, use the data. So the data is typically hidden in different systems, in the ERP systems, in the P2P system, the contract systems, but they're not talking to each other. So there are siloed systems. Uh, so what we want to help them is, is to leverage this data so they can get the clarity they need to take responsible decisions. Uh, and also with responsible decisions, it's with the regulation that you mentioned coming in, it's also linked to the sustainability part. Because uh, uh, now, nowadays, it's not only focusing on, on cost. Cost is an important element, of course. But also customers' demands a more sustainable uh, supply chain. And also regulation coming in and push from both governments, banks, investors, and so on, that you need to have control of your sub supply chain. Uh, you see that managing to use data to take data-driven decisions is, is more important than ever. And, and if you look at what's happened in, 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 during COVID, uh, a lot of companies lacked this transparency, which made it hard to find goods and services. And with the wow. Ukraine war, you had the same thing. The prices increased a lot, uh, and but it increased the focus on procurement and the importance of procurements. They uh, mm -hmm. got a seat at, at the table, uh, but now they also need to get the money they need in order to uh, get digital solutions so they can get the full potential out of the, the, the function. Mm -hmm. And luckily, we start to see that it, the procurement functions start to attract more, more talent, uh, mm -hmm. also get the budgets they need in order to, to digitalize. And Ignite, of course, we want to ignite uh, procurement, and we want to be part of the, the, that, that journey. Right. So it's, it's one of those get functions where everything is still done on on excel email and uh, and there is a, a huge need to digitalize the function the processes and, and to make it much more to make it it's much easier um to to work uh in that function right and to make it more uh productive efficient effective uh i would say yes absolutely i think excel is the most common used tool in in, in the procurement function yeah. 
always the the biggest competitor uh, of of SaaS solutions. Yeah, <laughs> the old Excel. <laughs> uh, great, and uh, and I think we we were just talking about your bootstrapping uh, stage and and then kind of extending your founding team and hiring uh, a CTO. Uh, any tips there when you? Because it's it's a very critical uh, decision, especially the first hires of any startup are critical, and especially a technical person when both uh, founders didn't have um, a technical uh, background. So, any tips for other consultants or other business people that have a good chemistry with each other and uh, are now looking to hire uh, a technical person for their teams that didn't join since day one. Uh, I think that 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 have been, I'm sure, a very important decision that you that you both have made, right? Yeah, very important decision. And we are very, very lucky finding a good CTO from the start. He's still the CTO and he's part of the extended founding team. Um, so we used our network to find this 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 guy so we were lucky that we were tipsed from another guy in in, in bcg uh, oh, cool. that we worked with <laughs> in, in bcg uh, and then we met him we got a good chemistry we saw that we can work together and uh, since then we have been working together so it, we were a bit uh, lucky but i think leveraging the network find um the first employees i think that's uh, super important and that's something we have done a lot uh, and if if you look at where we have succeeded the most is typically uh, when we have hired through our, our network right using that challenge to hire the first employees i think it's a very good idea Right. And I assume now at 50 plus uh, team members, you are already evolving from the founding team to the first version of the leadership team uh, of the business, right? So maybe you don't have very senior people in all uh, the seats yet, um, but uh, as I like to see, the, the leadership team is evolving from version one, version two, version three, as the business uh, keeps evolving uh, as well. So what are the seats that you have at the table in uh, at the leadership team level uh, now? So right, right now, it's me as the CEO. It's my co-founder, Berge, as the CRO. It's okay, cool. It's the CTO. That's we hired in, in the beginning. Uh, and then right. also have a chief customer officer. Uh, and cool. then we just recently hired also a COO. Uh, so now we have, right now we are five in the management team. And then we have the VP level. Uh, Got it. On sales, marketing, product. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Sounds, sounds great. And this is sometimes also a, a good point is sometimes the CRO is able to also manage CS. I see, I see that you have the, the, the CCO or the chief customer uh, officer in this case, that sometimes it's also the chief commercial officer. So we need to be careful with, <laughs> with, with, with the name. So how do you split? This might be also interesting. And I see that you have grouped on the leadership team um, in order to make it, uh, let's say, as, as small as possible so it, it also helps to be 
agile and, and quick to, to decide if you have a, a very long or extended uh, leadership team. Sometimes things become also slower in terms of decision making. And, and in a startup, uh, there, there is something in, the, in a scale up, there is something that you can uh, cope with, which is being slow and not being able to to be all on the same page and be quick to to make decisions. Right? Yeah, I think it's a good point. And in, in the beginning, we had also customer success below the CRO. Okay. So um, uh, we, but right now it's that we have also that on 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 the C level. But I think speed is super important. Right. Keeping the team as tight as, as possible, uh, I think it's uh, critical in, in, in the early days. Then you maybe can expand it a bit as, as you grow. Yeah. And maybe I could ask the question in a better way, which is what are kind of the functions that are now under the responsibility of revenue, right? Because uh, CS is, of course, under the chief customer officer at the moment. So revenue leads what, what, what functions? And marketing and sales. Marketing and sales, and uh, we have a market, VP marketing and a VP sales. Got it. Perfect. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, especially in SaaS, that we that the chief customer officer can also focus a lot on the on, of course, on the NPS, and uh, and also align with the CRO on the NRR and how to grow from the existing customers and having kind of retention and acquisition split it because those. To, to different areas of the business need also uh, a lot of focus, right? So uh, growing from new customers or growing from existing customers, uh, that's that's uh, a big world to, to work on. Mm. And, and we try to be very customer driven in, okay. in the whole company, also on the, on, on the product development. So that's why it can be good to have the, Chief customer officer also on, on, on the C level. So they get and yeah. they can say their words from, from the customer's behave. And again, having a, a seat uh, at the table and, and having the customer represented uh in the in the C level. And and in terms of ICP or ideal customer profile, so what are the the typical or the ideal client for, for your SaaS um platform? Yeah, so it's typically mid-market and enterprise customers uh, across different uh, industries. Yep. Uh, but uh, we have a lot of companies within construction, within production and manufacturing, uh, within public sector. Uh, but every company where procurement is an important part of their competitiveness. And if you look at the cost, that typically most of the, the industries, uh, typically the Procurement cost is 60 to 90% of the, the cost of the business. Well, wow. having control of the spend is super critical for most industries. Right. Makes makes a lot of sense. And in terms of, of geographies, Sigbjorn, uh, where where are you guys at at the moment? Yeah, so we have a direct sales team focusing on Scandinavia, on Dock, and also on UK and Ireland right now. Uh, but of course, also take inbound leads from other, other parts, also a bit in, in, in the U.S. So we have customers now in Europe and in, and in, in the U.S. In the U.S. But uh, you would say that the, the, big, the big shank is still coming from where you started. So you are coming from Norway. So then you conquered the, the Scandinavian 
region evolved into into DAG first and, and then UK or first UK uh, and then DAG and, and now progressively to the US, right? Yes, so we started with uh, Scandinavia focusing on, on, on Norway uh, and then uh, the DAG and now just recently also the, the UK market. Okay. So now we um, also have two salespeople working on, on the UK market. Currently everyone's working from, from Norway uh, okay. In the future, also people on, on on the ground. This is an important important tip, and always a, a great discussion, uh, especially should we have the, the the commercial team close to the rest of the team uh, and and travel, or should we have uh, those sales offices or commercial offices on the ground on the field uh, in 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 their markets and. Uh, of course, there are pros and cons, and I think there are also different timings, right? So there are moments that it it makes sense to to be closer to to the headquarters to make it easy to communicate and to adapt, uh, and there are moments that it's really important. Uh, even sometimes we see the CEO moving to the most important markets uh, and having the the go to market functions moving also to to that market. So typical case, the UK or the US. Then part of of the leadership team moves to to the US, especially the go to market functions, and sometimes it is the technical functions that stays in the original uh, headquarters. And of course, I'm talking as we have a global podcast in a European context because a lot of European companies um, need to start growing in the in 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 Europe and then jump. Uh, to the US uh, for for the US companies is different because they they can build a big business just out of the of the US, right? Yes. So, and that might might be the case for also when when we are going into in the into the US that some of us move into to to the US. Uh, right. But right now, uh, and also in the early days, I think when the product develops a, a lot, uh, I think it's the synergies of having all people together is quite quite high. We should not underestimate the importance of communication and and being able to to always be on on the same page. We know that there are a lot of companies nowadays that are able also to have amazing uh, remote frameworks and to be able to to make it happen. But uh, of course, in an organic way, in the face to face way, uh, it is always uh, easier, right, to to make it happen. Absolutely. Cool. And uh, any lessons from a go to market perspective? Now that we understand a bit your ICP, so you that you are uh, serving mid markets, enterprise, uh, sector agnostic, and then the geographies that you are going through. Um, any any comments on? Outbound, inbound partners, uh, PLG or product-led growth for the ones who are not familiar with 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 the terminology, and any lessons learned in terms of go-to-market. I think this is one of the one of the critical uh, components, both on the starting up stage, but especially on the on the scaling up stage, having those channels uh, working right. Hmm. I think in the early days and going from zero to one million, I think it's, you should focus on one one channel. So in right. the early days, we focused on sales-led, mainly okay. outbound, uh, but then evolving to more channels as, as we are growing. Uh, so now we also have partners, uh, and we are also experimenting with product-led growth. Uh, we have expanded the product offering, 
So in the beginning, focusing on the procurement analytics, also now expanded with some sustainability modules. So both on supplier management uh, and also on the carbon accounting and contract management. And the new modules are better fit for more product-led uh, growth. So here we are now in the days of experimenting with product-led growth with these modules. And on the, on the analytics, we are also focusing on the, the partners. So we have some partners, some big consulting companies that uh, use Ignite uh, and have that as part of their toolbox. Right. This is really a, a, a great point. And uh, again, it, it's this the, the old mindset about starting up and, and scaling up, but related to, to channels. So starting up is always a discovery exercise where we are trying to uh, be able to find product market fit. And uh, it's an exploration exercise. We never know how long it will take and when all the pieces of the business model will tick. Uh, and uh, But at the same time, the product market fit in one channel will, will only help us to get into a certain stage of growth. So we need to start experimenting new channels, new ways of growth, new variables of growth, namely uh, new channels, new products, new geographies. And, and there we need to get back into finding product market fit again. So I really enjoy the way you articulated it. So you are experimenting uh, product-led growth. You are also establishing and, and, and uh, maturing a potential partner channel that uh, will kick in and have results in different moments of, uh, of, of, the, of the growth of the company. But if you don't start it now, uh, maybe when you need it at 5 million ARR or 10 million ARR, you will not have the partner channels to, to scale or you will not have the product-led growth engine working to scale. So maybe now you are still more dependent on outbound, but you are already experimenting and iterating and trying to create other channels to make your, your growth a little bit easier. And, and I think it's important. And, and uh, I made this mistake several times uh, and I learned it, which is to have the, uh, during the scale-up stage, having a scale-up mindset and a startup mindset combined, doing some bets with, without losing the focus on what will create the growth in the short term, but never forget that in the midterm, we might need other variables to be able to keep the same uh, speed of growth, right? Yes, no, I agree. So I think going forward, Ignite will use a hybrid model. So both sales-led, both partners, and both um, uh, product-led. Uh, yeah. I think if you look three to five years ahead, I think either partners or product-led will be the biggest channel for, for, for Ignite. But today uh -huh. it's uh, it sales-led. And here we get more and more from the inbound. So people and companies contacting, contacting us. So that's a very important uh, so marketing-led, you can say also it's a significant part of our revenue today. I like the way you, you articulated it. It's marketing-led, the, the inbound uh, um, components. And sometimes I like the expression revenue-led. It could be marketing-led, sales-led, product-led, right? It's it's kind of revenue, uh, a revenue-led motion that, that comes from the, the different go-to-market uh, functions. So that, that's a good point. And, and in terms of um, the, we were talking a bit about the geographies where, where you are present. Um, do you see um, 
or would you like to share any kind of tips in terms of international expansion, something that worked well? Maybe maybe you were already sharing, right? So uh, in the beginning, having the commercial teams close to the headquarters to facilitate collaboration uh, might help. Uh, and at, at another stage is maybe having those functions moving closer to, to the markets and closer to the customer. Uh, it, it might be a better option. Any other tips on hiring people uh, to 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 serve those international markets. So in terms of international expansion, yeah. uh, lessons learned, let's, let's say. I think uh, in Germany, the language barrier is, is important. So you need someone that's yeah. German, right. especially in the, in, in the mid-market. There, you need someone that uh, preferably are from, from, from the German. Right. But uh, yeah, for us, we prioritized having it a German living in, in, in Norway, and then we can travel. And then you also had Corona and COVID here. So it was easier with um, Teams meeting. And, okay. Uh, but we see that uh, in order to really grow in, in Germany, you probably need people on, on the ground. Uh, so in addition to having direct salespeople, we also have partners in, in, in Germany. Uh, but the plan is to get pe people on the ground in like one to two years. Got it. Something that I also enjoyed on, on your thought process, which is kind of developing your product offer. And we have uh, listened to it several times at a certain moment, especially from, let's say, five to 10 million ARR, if you are able to expand existing customers uh, and in order to expand existing customers, sometimes you need to launch a new model of the product, a new version of the product, a new uh, functionality, uh, you will be able to double the business just by, by doing that. It's not an easy exercise. It seems easy in, in theory, but you might be able to double the business without acquiring any single uh, new customer, which is again, what we were discussing before that the retention component of a SaaS business is so important and so critical to have it right. Because it also shows that the business model is sustainable that the customers love the product and want to consume uh, more um, of the product. So I know that you you make a, a lot of investment on, on the product development side uh, in order to be able to, and that you have a, an impressive uh, net revenue retention uh, mm. metric as well, right? Yeah, so we have uh, cautiously invested a lot into the product development. So around two thirds of the company is working in product development in different product teams. Um, Impressive. So, including product managers, product designers, and uh, developers. Uh, and we started with analytics, and we saw that data analytics is a fantastic foundation to expand because as soon as you have the data, you can also do uh, a lot of things related to contract management, supplier management, and, and carbon accounting. So, that's why we have set up teams working on those different areas and invested quite a lot of expanding our product uh, offering. Uh, mm -hmm. And that also gives us a possibility to get a high net retention rate because we can upsell the new modules to existing customers. Right. And I also at the same time, lower the barrier to entry for, for new customers. They can start with a 
more low touch module and then expand to the full product offering when they are ready, ready for it. So currently we have a net retention rate around 120%, which is great. Very good foundation for growth because we know that if, even though we don't sell anything, we will get 20% yeah, growth. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we were going to sell on, on, on top of that, uh, and then we can get um, a very sustainable uh, growth. Yeah, absolutely. Super important point. Um, of course, for any scale-up, the team uh, is critical, and at a certain time, the, the role of the CEO and the role of any uh, of, the, of the key leaders of the company or any leader in the company is all about uh, attracting and retaining the best talent possible to be able to to grow the company. Uh, any insights on on the importance of the team to to scale the business? Any any uh, reflections that you'd like to share with with the uh, with the audience? Yes. So when you start a company, I think it's two important things. Uh, one is selecting the right market. So we selected procurement because we believe that's underinvested and has a lot of potential. Mm. The other thing that's important is selecting the right people. So mm -hmm. people with the same values, people yeah. that are uh, consistent and that can work hard over, over time and that you like to, to work with. And, and also that you are complementary in terms of what you bring uh, to the table. But getting the right people, that's for me the most important when building the, the company. Uh, and that's the most important reason for the success we had so far is that we managed to get a lot of good people joining Ignite and retaining them as in Ignite. So managing to attract and retain top talents is super important. And, and here, as I mentioned, Leveraging the network and, and the extended network is a very good challenge to get the best people to, to join. Uh, and if you get some good ones, they know other good ones, and then you get the ball to, to roll. Right. That, that's why it's it's so important, those initial hires, to set the culture. So and, and I think it was Reid Hoffman who, who said it several times that uh, the, the first 50 to 100 people, uh, the, the C-level or the founders need to ensure that they are a right fit for the culture because they, they can build or break the company. And of course, we know that this code comes even more for, from, from, for the first 10, 15 people that those uh, can really... Uh, break uh, the company if we if, if we don't hire the the right people at at that stage. Yeah, I, I agree. So if you hire the wrong people, it's very costly to do that, especially in 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 the beginning. So invest time and resources to make sure right. that you get the right people on, on board. And so, and of course, you you have so many things to do, especially in the. In any stage of growth of, of a company like this, so it's a very intense job, very difficult, and and, and again, we we will always make a lot of mistakes, uh, it's, and it's important to make those mistakes as fast as fast as, as possible and and uh, cross correct, 
Uh, and that's why it's also important to identify what are the decisions that we can cross-correct and what are the ones that, uh, unfortunately, it will be very difficult or almost impossible to cross-correct and can kill the company. And then spending more time on those and then the other ones decide as quickly as possible and, and then um, and then cross-correct. But uh, it, it is difficult to, to understand or to prioritize the time to recruiting and leading uh, or retaining providing um providing conditions for the people who are in the team to thrive because again there are so many fires so many so many stuff to do and and there is a huge pressure to have someone to help you out so uh if you feel that this might be a fit maybe you don't do your due diligence you don't do your reference check you you don't make sure that that person might might get along with the team might have the 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 the, the skills to perform well and you just uh, invite the person to to join straight away and uh, and usually it is not a good result you might have luck that you you found the the right fit but uh, but after 10 or 20 people you need to have a lot of luck to always uh, follow the gut feeling and uh, uh, and and make it work right yeah and if you look at it from a ceo perspective you have yeah What's important for you is to set the direction of the, of the company and get the right people to deliver on that direction. And of course, getting the cap capital needed to be able to right. get that direction. And uh, that, then it's also important for me to make sure that I put aside time to, to do those things. Love it the way you said it. Set the direction, ensuring that we have the right people on the right seats. And of course, always having cash on the bank and, and the capital to be able to, to grow the business. Uh, great summary of what should be the role uh, of the CEO. And, and with that, especially with the last components, the capital, uh, what we discussed here a lot about strategy, go to market, also about people. Um, now it's the time to go into to, to the fundraising uh, topic. So we were able to bootstrap during the pre-seed stage where we see a lot of companies now raising pre-seed. So you were able to skip the, the pre-seed round and also dilute less the, the founders uh, in, in that process. So you raised seed and, and last year you raised um, uh, the Series A. Any lessons for both rounds, or if you want to separate uh, the lessons learned for both that you, that you'd like to share with with the ones who are listening and maybe are going through uh, um, the same process of raising capital for their startup? Yes. So, so we skipped the, the first round. So we bootstrapped in the beginning, and, and capital is very expensive in in in, in the early days because you dilute quite a lot. Uh, so if you manage to to bootstrap or so to get to the next stage without raising capital. And that's a very big benefit for you in, in the in the long term. It's saving 15 to 20%, 10% in the best case, right? Yes. Uh, so if that's possible, it's also depending on the market you are in, of course. Right. Be a good option. Uh, but I think it's also important to make sure that you get the right type of investors on, on board. So the VC investor is not the right for, for everyone. You need to ensure that you have the characteristics that's uh, for a VC investors to invest, like a big, big market and a lot of growth potential and preferably also network uh, effects. Uh, a second lesson is that uh, 
make sure that it's good good culture fit within investors that you get get on board because you're going to work with these for in in, in the long term uh, and it needs to be people that you like to to work with and that you can work with all, over time so it's the same as getting people on board you need to uh, have a good fit with them also in terms of working together uh, and and the last that it's preferably good to start a process as early as, as, as possible. So you keep the options and you have optionality. Uh, so you're not in a place where you need to take capital and they have better negotiation cards than, 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 than you. So start early, uh, discuss with the investors and keep your options uh, open. I think that summarizes my rest lesson so far. Uh, when I raised the when we raised the seed round, I didn't have enough understanding of the VC world. I've learned a bit after after that, so I probably did some mistakes in 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 the early days. But uh, you learn as you go along, also. Even for for the ones uh, who know the the theory then uh, making it happen and with the pressure and uh, the emotional intensity of going through fundraising sometimes we forget basic things so uh, so we, we always make a lot of mistakes even when even the most experienced ones who have done it two or three times uh, before right so that that's a good point uh, and being humble there uh, as well great and uh, you also said something super relevant which is related with um with kind of the same way that when we the ones who get credits are the ones who don't need the credit right and 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 the same thing uh about a startup if you are able to show that you can go break even uh and you are just raising the capital to accelerate growth uh Usually, those are in a good position to to raise capital, and the re again non-dependent uh, on on raising that capital, which creates op optionality, uh, as you are saying. So, getting closer to the round in a position that you are able to go break even if you don't raise capital uh, also improves your multiples, uh, the negotiation and the optionality in in that process and. I think that, that what you said uh, as well is, is super important to start as early as possible, but at the same time, being able to show the metrics. And, and that's why sometimes uh, it's it's not easy to start too early, but at least starting the, the networking stages and get to know the investors as quickly as possible. And, and that's sometimes why we say that the CEO is always on, on fundraising, right? Even if it is not officially raising around it's always connecting with investors and talking to investors and getting to know each other also to ensure that they have that cultural fit that that you were talking about that is super important that uh, that you are not able to to realize in in two three four five meetings uh when you are trying to close the the round i agree and and for us now it's and especially in today's environment in the, in the capital market to have that optionality so now we are we have a budget where we go cash flow positive uh, but we see big opportunities in, in the procurement space so it might be that we want to raise more capital uh, 
but having the optionality to become cash flow positive on your own yeah. is good, especially in today's environment. Super. So uh, fully agreed. And let's go into the last segment of the show, uh, Sigbjorn, where I ask you a, a, a quick question and you give me a, a, a brief answer, please. Uh, so if you'd have the opportunity to have a, a coffee with uh, yourself at the beginning of Ignite Procurement, so let me look into LinkedIn in 2016 when you started bootstrapping, uh, what advice would you offer to your younger Sigbjorn? Yeah, good question. So I think stay focused, not be too Im impatient. So I think um, be too early, we, we broadened the, the, the scope um, before we maybe had product market fit. So staying focused is super important, especially in, in, in the early, uh, early days. And then when you have product market fit, then you can expand and take take bets out, outside the, the, the core. Yeah, but that's uh, a key learning for, for me. Awesome. What are you the most proud of on your journey so far? Uh, I think it's definitely the people that we have managed to attract and retain into Ignite. We have top people, top, top companies joining Ignite that has brought a lot to the, to the table. And uh, I think that's going to be the most important success factors for Ignite in, in the future, that they manage to attract those people. Awesome. Worst advice ever received? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> from some customers and leads in, in the beginning that we, we got advice to, to expand uh, outside the core. And, uh, <clears throat> and that, I think, you should listen to your customers, but you also they, they don't necessarily have the same objective as as you, uh, and and the complexity that that adds. So uh, making sure that you stay on track on your your vision and don't go too much out outside of that. I think that's uh, uh, very important. Great one. And now the resources, uh, your favorite book, and it can be business or non-business. This is much more a segment to, to get to know our guests. Uh... Yeah, so I recently read uh, Ben Horvitz's book, The Hard Things About Hard Things. A classic, yeah. Really good book, because it also explained uh, what it takes to, to, to build a company. and also includes some practical ad ad advice. So a very good book that I just read. Absolutely. Favorite movie or series? Uh, yeah, I don't like prioritize a lot of TV series uh, these days, but uh, yeah. I like Billions. It's a good TV yeah. And I also think Entourage was uh, terrific. Right. Great, great additions to, to the list. Uh, and finally, your favorite podcast, excluding uh, this one. <laughs> Uh, uh, there's a lot of good ones on, on, on the podcast front now. So, but uh, one that I've listened to a lot lately is the, the Diary of a CEO. Steve right. Bob. So it's uh, great one. A good uh, podcast that also have go quite deep with interesting people. Uh, so very good podcast. Agreed. I also enjoy that that one uh, a lot. 
Sigbjorn, it has been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for, for making the time. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Likewise. And to our community, thanks for being there. Uh, we keep bringing you the best of the best to make your life a little bit easier as you scale up your business. See you soon and keep scaling.